from the at-home studios of Nebraska Extension 4-H Youth Development Coordinators, it's PYD in three. Benish and I'm here with Maria Walker and we are 4-H Youth Development Coordinators with Nebraska Extension and we are here with episode three of PYD in three and our topic today is going to be keeping positive youth development at the center of our work. Maria, are we excited to get started? I am very excited. First off, third episode and it's PYD in three. That feels very telling. Uh, and so also it's one of my favorite, favorite topics, keeping positive youth development at the center. So I got all the things going for me today. Awesome. I love it. I didn't make that connection between the third episode and PYD in three. So it is a special celebratory episode for us. And we've got some fun, exciting topics to cover today. So uh, Maria, I feel like we should just roll and get our timer going because for those of you listening, we'll, we'll re- reiterate our format. Uh, we do break down the topic of the day in three minutes or less. Uh, it's a fun challenge for Maria to do that. I, I say us, but really Maria takes, takes that task on and, and we'll break that down for us. And then in our second segment, we'll interview an expert on the topic. Today, we have a great interview talking about someone who for a long time has had a chance to keep PYD at the center of her work. Um, and then our third segment, uh, we take our topic and apply it to youth work. Maria, your timer ready? My timer is ready. Wonderful. So we're going to get started and go. All right. I just pressed go. Actually, I am going to involve you in this one and ask, when I think about PYD at the center, it brings up one of my favorite images. Can you guess what that is? Well, here in Nebraska, when I think of positive youth development being at the center of something tangible, I think of our 4-H youth development framework. Yes, I love that. I've always loved that framework. It's a set of concentric circles and right in the middle of uh, all those circles of regarding what we do and how we do it in Nebraska 4-H is the uh, main circle of positive youth development right there at the center. And it's almost like the center of the bullseye. I mean, I don't play darts very much, but I think that's what that is in darts, right, Ashley? It is. And we always think of that in a positive way, right? You get a bullseye and it's extra points. Very good. So it helps you win. And I think it helps you uh, achieve and win and create a win-win situation for uh, youth, for you, for, for adult volunteers. When positive youth development guides what you do, you keep it at the center. It informs your decisions. It informs what type of program and how you want to deliver it. Um, having those components of youth at the center, youth voice, youth adult partnership, investment over time, uh, seeing youth as assets to the community, you can always ask yourself, 
when you're trying to decide what's the next best step for this program or for the 4-H program in my county or for any youth development program, what's my next, next best step? It is best informed by the components of positive youth development. And so for me, in three minutes, if you hear nothing else, allow PYD at the center to be your guide the bullseye that you're shooting for always. You can also have this like beacon of light, if you will, that you are letting shine on your work and your practice. And that is positive youth development and let it become a part of all you do. Even if you ask yourself, should I take this meeting? Will it further positive youth development? Yes. Oh, then you should take it. Even those types of decisions can be informed with PYD at the center. Thoughts on that, Ashley? We got 13 seconds. Well, I will just say that I know when I, I've learned something from you through all this, Maria, because often I get very excited about new opportunities and new things and the shiny new, whatever it is in our program. You're really great at saying, where's the PYD in this? It's helped me to check myself every time we want to add something new or change something and thinking about where is the PYD in that. How does it inform our work? Asking ourselves that all parts along the way. Great. Well, our three minutes is definitely up. You may have heard my chime go off. Uh, So I hope that was beneficial for this first segment, PYD in three, literally in three minutes. Let's keep it at the center. It can be our guide or the bullseye we aim for always asking ourselves, where is the PYD here? We are going to roll into our segment two, which we have a great interview with Nyla Cobb uh, with West Virginia Extension and lots of great insights from her. So stay tuned. Well, welcome back to our PYD in three, episode three. Joining us for our second segment today, we have with us Nyla Cobb. And Nyla is from West Virginia University Extension, where she serves as a health specialist. She has been with West Virginia Extension for over 35 years and has served as a volunteer leader, then as a 4-H agent, and now as a specialist. So a vast amount of experiences over the years for Nyla, and we are going to love to hear her input on how she centers her practice around PYD. Welcome, Nyla. Thank you. Nice to be here. We're so glad to have you. Two people with an accent on today, so that will be (laughs) delightful. Uh, I hope they can tell us apart. I don't have an accent. I, I don't hear it at all. No. I meant Ashley and I. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> my, my very thick Nebraska accent, right? <laughs> that's not a thing, but that's all right. So to get us started, you know, our conversation today is really around keeping positive youth development at the center of, of our program. So what does that mean to you to keep positive youth development at the center of our work? Well, you know, Ashley, thanks for that question, because I think you have to be extremely purposeful. If, if that's what you want to do. And so my career with extension started off way back when, when I was very young, young mother, and I got a job at a 4-H camp uh, to take care of it as a groundskeeper. And we lived on the grounds and I started working there at, and volunteer, volunteering for 4-H. I did, I did double duty there. I not only took care of the facility, But I was also a volunteer with 4-H and I found out very quickly that if we weren't careful, 
that we would only, it was way too easy to work with all of the, the easy kids, the so-called good kids, as they called them. And it came very clear to me very early on that the kids that needed us the most were the kids that might be the most difficult, okay, at times and having difficulties that ran over in their lives. So um, I had some really, really, really great mentors in my life that helped me come through my career. And one of those mentors was the extension agent at the time. And her name was Wileen Dial. We called her Jenny. And Jenny was just such a wonderful person. And she had such a grace about her. And she, in fact, I was 37 years old and she said, you, you need to go to school. You've got to get back in school. I had started the school and then had a family. And, and uh, so she said, you need to get back in school and you need to be an extension agent. So I did, <laughs> and now I'm here. But in that, she also told me one very important thing one time, we were working with some children from a housing community in Huntington, West Virginia. And, you know, these children were not assimilated into 4-H, okay? They were not in clubs. They were not doing that kind of work. Many of them were minority children. They were very underserved. Jenny said, you know, if we make enough rules, they will break them. And I thought, wow, that was just so profound to me. Because basically, we had to really think outside the box about working with children that had not been programmed, if you will, to come to 4-H camp and to know how to behave. And, and in West Virginia 4-H, we have a lot of tradition, and Maria and I have talked about that as well. From Georgia, I know you do as well. But, you know, from the outside, it looks very much like a cult. And we had to think about how we were welcoming kids and what were the unspoken rules of, of coming to camp. And so it really started me down that path of knowing that I love working with youth at risk. I really, really do. I love reaching out to kids that other people says, oh, you don't want that kid here. Yes, I do. Uh, I most certainly do that kid wants to be here more than any other kid. You know, it's like we talk about health education. That's one of my big things is how do we get kids engaged in healthy activity? Competitive recreation was never gonna get me engaged in sports. It had to be something real different. And I think that's really what I like about now in my work is looking at a child, and seeing what their challenges are. And then the, the onus is on me to figure out what, how to help that child reach their health, whether it's and wellness goals, whether it's mental health, physical health. That's a long way around that question. You only get one question for the whole show. <laughs> that was wonderful. I wrote down many things. I love that you led with purposeful and then yep. gave some really great experiences that informed how you wanted it to be purposeful and why that is important. You well, use the word assimilate into 4-H and I've actually used it that, used that way before. I mean, we're, we're over a hundred years old. Of course, we're going to have our own language, our own customs, it, and our own culture. 
And so, right. but I, I have used assimilate to talk about how that could be a challenge or an obstacle for first generation 4-H members, or even um, with communities that are unfamiliar with 4-H. And so I like to say, let's not ask them to assimilate, but mm-hmm. make the program culturally relevant for them to be a part of their world, if you will. And I hear you saying that clearly. Yeah, and, and absolutely. I think that I was in 4-H when I was a child. I didn't get to stay in 4-H because my mom was a club leader and she got sick. And so our club disbanded and we, we were ruled. There was no other opportunity for me. But most of the people along the years, we have, I call them 4-H royalty, if you will. We have families that are just these wonderful extension families that have been there and they were in 4-H and they encourage their kids to be in 4-H and they give them all of those opportunities. And so in, in the cultural aspect of it, when you're just going to go, let's say, to the, to the county fair and we're going to have a judging process around project books, I think that one of the things that I always like to do is be very careful about who my judges were and how those ribbons were handed out. Because if I have a child who is perhaps living with a grandparent, being raised by a grandparent, because maybe the parents are addicted or have a substance use disorder, we might want to look at that child's uh, project completion in a different light of the child who grew up in the extension home and has had parents that's been engaged in 4-H work for all of their adult lives as well as, as when they were children. You know, we, it's hard to, it was always hard for me to get into the whole competitive part of 4-H. I really, really like to give kids lots of different opportunities to succeed. And one of the most successful things I think that we can do with kids is help them with just life skills. You know, it might be public speaking, or it might be that they really get excited about um, building that birdhouse at 4-H camp and, and decide, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm really interested in carpentry or you know, we, they call them sparks uh, with Search Institute. So if we can help a child find their spark, then my gosh, our, we've done our job. Well, I think our conversation has taken us to a different place than I expected. I'll go ahead and say that, that what I really hear you talking about is something that learner, rich learner calls developmental context. It's also part of the 4-H thriving model that you take that into consideration as a part of your PYD practice and working with youth and that you truly see our work from an equity lens. That was not the theme of the show, but I'm delighted that it came up in this way so organically that the developmental context is important, understanding that of the youth. And then the equity is a, is a large part of positive youth development. We often lift that, lift that characteristic but maybe don't cite real world examples. But Nyla, I think you've actually given us those little real world nuggets that we can associate with equity, understanding the context of the youth as they come into the judging experience, knowing that uh, maybe a, a child of size may not 
dig competitive sports. So, but they can really love hanging out with their friends or something like that. And that's what motivates them for physical wellness. So I I thank you for that. I think the other thing too, on, on that point is that we can help kids be physically active without it being competitive. I now am extremely physically active for my age. I'm a bike rider and my husband and I love, love, love bike riding. And actually, uh, because we've had the weather to do so, we've been able to ride, I think in the past two weeks, my clicker count is 48 miles in two weeks. I thoroughly enjoy it. And, you know, I'm a diabetic and it's so good for my health. I mean, it makes a tremendous difference in my life when I keep myself active. So nobody ever said, hey, why don't you try a bike, you know, or why don't you do this? Hiking, walking in the woods, playing in a creek. Those are all, that's all physical activity. And you will find kids love that stuff, canoeing, kayaking. I always, when I was running camps, I was just constantly trying to figure out what's the best way I can get kids engaged in physical activity that's not competitive. And, you know, it it took a lot of time and work and effort, but I was constantly looking for those new ways of getting kids moving. You know, it can, it can be as fun as a scavenger hunt around the grounds. You know, the kids are going to go out there and they're going to have so much fun with that. Or like if it's a photography class, where you hand out cameras and you say, okay, here you go. Go take pictures. First letter of the alphabet. You've got to find something that starts with A. Go find something that starts with B. I mean, that's going to get kids moving in such a a great way. But I have to tell you too, and when I'm talking, I'm going to take us back to mentors for a moment. I got real fortunate after I was hired by extension. I was hired in 2000. Uh, I did go back to school like my old extension agent asked me to do. And I got my undergrad and my graduate, and I thought I was going to be a medical social worker. Then I was recruited back to be uh, an extension agent. That was my dream job, just wonderful. And I was very fortunate that a program unit director came to extension in about 2004, Debbie McDonald. Some of you may know Debbie. Debbie is now with 4-H Council. I thoroughly enjoyed working with Debbie and working for Debbie. And Debbie is one of those people who has great vision, understands kids and positive youth development. She would ask us all the time, she would say, why do we do this? Why are we doing this? If it's not for positive youth development, then we shouldn't be doing it because that is our only focus is positive youth development. What happens when folks are answering it? Maybe it's not PYD. That's right. That's right. And, and as a matter of fact, I had a very large teen leader group. One of the big pieces that my teen leaders did was came back to my camps as counselors for the summer. And I did several weeks of camp. So I had lots of kids that I worked with and teen leaders, you know, they love to come back and work for free. (laughs) (laughs) I even, I even trained them to say, what do we do? Why do we do camp? And they would say, positive youth development, you know, (laughs) but they got it. They got it. Don't think they didn't because, you know, they knew that it, it had to be around, that's, that was the only reason that we were there was positive youth development. 
Well, Nyla, I, I have two more responses that to what you're saying. So I don't want to miss them. First, you saying that, that question, what do we do? Ashley and I are 4-H Youth Development Coordinators, and we work with counties regarding their 4-H programs. A few times a week, a scenario is emailed to me. The question is, do you have any feedback on what we should do? I, I love that maybe the response is you should do positive youth development. <laughs> is it that simple? Maybe not, but that's Maybe the first not, answer. Make, yeah, it, it does make people think when you say that, it, but it, of course, needs to go beyond that. You know, one of the things that really came out of a lot of the research in the last few years was when we started talking about things like ACEs, okay, and trauma-informed practice. What are and, ACEs in case folks okay. listening don't know what that is? That is adverse childhood experiences. And it came out of a very large study. I'm not going to go into all of that, but basically um, there is a list of 10 attributes that kids can have that increases their risk for a whole host of at-risk behaviors and health issues if they have had these trauma uh, events in their lives. And basically the ACEs study led us to understand that as youth development professionals, we need to understand trauma-informed practice, okay? And that took us to another level of positive youth development that again is more inclusive, okay? I, I am a firm believer that as a member of the, you know, as a, as a 4-H leader, I used to always have to sign on that enrollment that any child, regardless, you know, the whole statement was allowed to be in my 4-H club. And I took that very seriously. And if we are going to be inclusive to all children, then we have to really look at what's going on. I don't know if you all are aware of Huntington, West Virginia, or have even ever heard of it. Unfortunately, Huntington's claim to fame came about a few years back whenever they decided that we had the largest amount of percentage of obesity in the world in Huntington, West Virginia. Then it just kept going forward with all of these horrible statistics, the ultimate epidemic of the drug use and the substance use disorder problem epidemic really was raging. And that was for a lot of reasons that I'm not gonna go into here, but mostly in a nutshell, it was around a lot of job loss, uh, economic downturns uh, combined with, I think a lot of um, very poor health indicators. And so now as a result of that, we have a generation of children who have grown up in some very traumatic circumstances. We have one of the highest rates of children living outside of the home in West Virginia than in any other state in the nation. Well, I think we're number two. We we're kind of we kind of you know flip around there, but we're like two or three after just a couple of other states. Basically, what do we know? Uh, you know, do you know about the traumas prevalence and the impact? Um, if you are not paying attention, then shame on you, because this isn't just Huntington's problem anymore. It's a national issue. It's a national issue. So we work, uh, we have a team in extension that we call resiliency and recovery. 
and we brought a summit to extension wide where we came together so we could talk about this and find out what is extensions answer. And one of the things that we have to do is look at our policies around how we work with kids and how we bring kids in. What is our outreach? Exactly how do we adjust our environments to help so that we are uh, building a trauma responsive environment for youth? Because that's, that's what we have. That's what we have. You know, we had a lot of children that were being born, they call it neonatal abstinence syndrome or NAS. And we had like off the charts, as many as one in 10 children being born. So what what are the outcomes of that? Well, we don't even know all of those answers, but one of the really nice things that we've been doing is working with the university and the counseling department And we just finished a wonderful program that we're going to to be at extension educators are going to be able to share with teachers, regular school day teachers to help them understand as well as ourselves, what are some skills and techniques to use to work with children who are coping with everything that's going on in their homes. Taking back to a statement you said earlier about how purposeful that is and how intentional you're utilizing the data that you have to identify needs. And so you also said earlier that part of our role is to find ways to help youth based on their challenges. So identifying what those challenges are up front. So, you know, when you don't have necessarily the data or when you do in this case, how do you identify those challenges? What, in what, what does that look like? And I want to interrupt and say, it's the challenges that they experience. It's not that they are deficit, right? Nyla, oh, like the, it's just no. the challenges. Sometimes people use those words interchangeably, but I think it's important to make that distinction to add on to Ashley's question about what to or how to look for those things. It's really what they're facing because what they bring is asset. Well, I'll give you some simple little scenarios here. Okay. For instance, if I'm working with youth from my county, I notice that, oh, the university and and the extension program says, okay, we're doing everything online. Everybody's got to sign up online now. No more pencil paper. What, What happens to that family who does not have an ability to get online and sign up? Are those kids just out? Do we just not include them? Or what about uh, when we start making program costs be so high that families can't, we might be able to send one kid, but we sure can't send two. What, what do we do with that? And, you know, I'm saying that you, whenever you recognize this, then it's on us to say, okay, there's grant dollars out there that we can work with to make sure that we get funding so that every child can participate. I will tell you that I have been working with camp, with kids and camping for over 30 some years. And I have never, ever had a child that I said, they can, this family can't afford to send any kids. So we can't, we can't serve them. That is on us to make sure that every, that's not that child's fault if that family can't afford that. That's our fault. So we have to figure out how do we make our programs attainable for all kids. One thing <laughs> that I consistently hear from you, and even in our second episode, is the importance of simply paying attention, yeah. period. Like that's where we learn. 
That's where we can recognize those obstacles that the program we are doing is important. Teaching about healthy living is important, but paying attention to the youth learning may be the most important thing. Yeah. Relationships, relationships, relationships. It's all about the relationships. I love it that it always comes back to, if you really want to do positive youth development, then find that child a caring adult. And if you can't find them a caring adult, then guess what? You be the caring adult. Because <laughs> that's what it's about. It's about that relationship. For instance, if you're going to put a form out to people, in our Appalachian culture, if I said, okay, just fill out this form, and if you need help, you just write it on the form here that you need a scholarship, sometimes you're going to get some people that will do that. But most of the time, people are going to be too proud. So when you know that family down the street and the aunt took in three more kids and she has two kids and the work is come and go and they're all, you know it's you know they're struggling it's easy it's easy to see then it should be on you to say guess what i've got this scholarship they want me to give it to somebody i think your the, your kids would be perfect for this people are appreciative of that kind of help they can maintain their dignity well, Nyla, I could sit and learn from you and with you for a very long time. Also, we could chat endlessly, uh, you and I. I warned Ashley, I said, watch out, because I feel like we're, one of our guests is is a soul sister of mine. So uh, we're connected. <laughs> in a great uh, way. Nervous. In a, good. You're nervous in a great way. I was excited in a great way. But we like to kind of bring things together in this segment with asking our guests one question uh, to kind of wrap it all up. And that question is, what's your PYD in three? Hmm. Well, I think the first one has to be being purposeful. Okay. We talked about that. We like to, I like for you to think about uh, positive youth development must be a purpose. It's my life's purpose. I guess the second one would have to be find a mentor. Mentoring is a wonderful opportunity for PYD. Look to somebody in your field that you think does a great job and then steal all of their best practices. That's what we always do in extension. And then I guess the third thing would have to be that caring adult piece. So important. The relationships have to be number one. Anytime that we're trying to do positive youth development, you got to wait in there and get your feet wet with it and not be afraid. I love, love, love running into kids that I 30 years ago don't know their name, but you know, you see them in the grocery store and they're so happy to see you and they'll tell you, you made a difference in their lives and there's nothing better than that. Well, I think that's a powerful way to end this. How about you, Ashley? Absolutely. Inspiring in more ways than one today. I appreciate your dedication to the work and also your health and, and your cycling. And I'm now feeling bad and need to go for a run or a walk or something today to, to catch up. Very, very inspiring conversation. I wrote down many, many things on my little notebook here. Thank you, Ashley. I strongly recommend a bike ride your 12 again when you're on a bike. I like that. You're 12 again. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time today, Nyla. Uh, as usual, I, I love and enjoy talking to you. Uh, I always feel reconnected to my purpose because you are so connected to yours. And I hope that our listeners can feel that 
sincerity in, I, I certainly do in our conversation right now and can be inspired to immediately reconnect to their purpose and how, if it's not PYD, if it's something else, how it connects to positive youth development and how they, they practice that while fulfilling their purpose. Well, welcome to our third segment of our episode three, PYD and three, where we just heard from Nyla Cobb from West Virginia about keeping positive youth development at the center of our practice and our work and really exciting, inspiring conversation. I found myself really just listening to Nyla and her, and her stories because they were just leading me down a path of all these other things I'm thinking about in the work that we do. And they're so connected to lived experience. You know, we call this portion of our episode PYD for me. And I just think if you can't get down with PYD for me, if you can't say, yeah, that's for me for sure. And how I'm going to go do this work after hearing Nyla Cobb, then I'm sorry for you because I can't imagine not thinking, yeah, that's definitely for me as I move forward in my work. Just her optimism, her passion, her love, all those things that she has put into her work and uh, never losing sight on PYD as her purpose. She said it, her purpose in life. I, I believe that. It was so sincere and, and I see it in even how she interacts with me outside of this episode and uh, with others that she helps train and, and mentor. I told Nyla early on that, you know, she's helping us aspire to, to be at the point in, that she is in her career. And I think for me, just hearing her talk and the language that she uses and just it, it's almost like she, she doesn't really even have to be purposeful anymore because she's focused so hard on um, implementing positive youth development to everything that she's done, that it just naturally happens at this point for her. And it, someday, some, someday, you know, it'll, it'll be just second nature to all of us. That's the hope. Maslow calls that unconscious competence, that we're not even aware that we're doing it. It's so integrated into what we do. But, and I call it pickle juice, the pickle juice phenomena or pickle juice PYD, in that when you have cucumbers and you want pickles, you submerge them into the brine as they get saturated they then become something totally different pickles you take it out you taste the pickle and the brine and there's no difference you can't tell the difference because it is so a part of that cucumber that it has become a pickle transformative trans yes love it transformative that's the word i was looking for pickle juice pyd maria that's that's a new one i like it it's Tell it paints a picture. We'll, we'll say it that way. So we're gonna right, we're gonna right. wrap up our segment here uh, the way that we love to, which is talking about what our PYD in three is. So Maria, what's your PYD in three takeaway today? Well, Ashley, first I heard Nyla say it over and over, and she said it's on me. That's on me, uh, or that's on you. And so uh, this personal responsibility in positive youth development as a staff person or as a professional, I love to think about it and to think literally in this situation, how is PYD on me to make it happen or to facilitate it or to bring it into the conversation? What do I need to do to bring PYD into this? It's on me. No one's going to do it for you. The youth 
certainly not their responsibility. Partners may not even know what BYP is. So it's on me as the professional to bring it forward. Second, I really loved our conversation about assimilating into 4-H. And that's just something that I've had conversations with a lot of people about, uh, particularly um, in Omaha at working in that urban area. We really practice meeting people where they are, literally going to the neighborhood, to the neighborhood schools. And instead of asking youth who are new to 4-H or new to experiential learning, to assimilate or to become like us, we are really trying to bring an experience that's relevant to their lives so that 4-H becomes a part of their culture, can be fully integrated to their experience. I love thinking about this. I want to continue that conversation and how it connects to an equity lens. Uh, but And so maybe that is a future episode. And my number three is something I never got to say out loud. It was one of those, oh, I have two responses. And then the first took off. I heard over and over from Nyla about the importance of play as it connects to experiential learning. She mentioned the photography scavenger hunt, the moving around in a creek, that it was really all about play. Even as adults, how important that looks for our learning and for our happiness. She talked about bike riding and um, how that contributes to her wellness. I often think that play as a part of, of positive youth development gets forgotten or not accounted for, but I appreciate it so much. And truly, we know for young children, work is play and play is work, but I'm not sure that stops when you turn eight years old. I think that it continues throughout our lives. So if I could have one more hour with Nyla, I'd want her to unpack that a little bit. Again, maybe a future episode. So those are my three. How about you? Well, I love the idea of bringing Nyla back. I think we I think we can do a follow-up for sure based on just stuff that I wrote down too, just questions that I had for her and different directions that we could go with that conversation. But for me, I guess the, the three things that I'm, focusing on after that conversation. Uh, one, you know, again, she talked a lot about being purposeful and really being intentional. And I liked that she asked her teen leaders, what do we do? And her story about how they really were like, oh, positive youth development. But you know that they're that what they took away from that experience and and the language that was being used and that they they knew what their purpose was in that in those events. And I think I myself and we all could be just more intentional with, you know, asking our volunteers, asking our councils, asking um, our stakeholders, asking our staff and asking ourselves, why are we here? What are we doing? Is there, where's the positive youth development in this? And I hear Maria say that often, where's the positive youth development in that? And so just checking ourselves a little bit before we move forward with the program and event or an opportunity for youth. The second thing, my second thing I'm focusing on is you know, just her idea about pay attention. Um, you know, not everything is a formal needs assessment. Uh, we often get informed based on those informal things, those things that we observe or that those small conversations that we have on the side. And so, you know, we all have stuff. We all have things that we're working through. Um, youth also have stuff. They have obstacles. And so that doesn't to say that they themselves are, are a problem to be fixed. We talk about that a lot. But 
they have challenges that they they work through. And so how do we identify those? And it's starting with paying attention. So focusing in on my own practice and doing that more often. And then the last thing, and I love that she said this because she reiterated it by saying relationships, relationships, relationships. And I think she referred to that as uh, relationships with caring adults. And I think certainly, absolutely, I'm thinking about that. But I'm also thinking about the relationships that we form with each other. She talked also a lot about the need for having a good mentor, having someone that can give you a nudge or that can remind you of those things, the why we do what we do, but then also being that person for someone else. So forging those relationships with our colleagues and with with the youth that we serve and that we work with. So that's my those are my three takeaways from this awesome conversation with Nyla. Well, actually, if I could ring a bell for them when my head nodded yes, you would just have <laughs> bells ringing during that whole uh, spiel you gave. Yes, that was awesome. I loved hearing that. And to it, I say right on, like I'm with you. What a fun day today. I appreciate your time and folks tuning in to hear about what it looks like for positive youth development to be at the center of our practice. Appreciate Nyla sharing her experience with that. I hope it is the bullseye you're aiming for or the pickle juice that you're sitting in so that you can become fully saturated with possibility. I do think I'm going to go ahead and declare that if we continue to put PYD at the center that we we just might change the world. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to claim it right now that we might just change the world. Pretty bold. That's a bold statement, but I think I think we can go there. I, I agree with that statement. And pickle juice PYD. People heard it here first. So indeed. Well thanks again for listening, everyone. That's PYD in three for episode three.